Welcome to the 30th episode of Junto Club. On this milestone episode, we start with Benji teaching us to be savers, and we wonder why more Olympic Games don't force you to use your feet. For our main topic, Matt, after much research and consideration, discusses critical race theory. For any questions, comments, or if you'd like to rant on something important to you, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. Junto Club. Well, welcome to the 30th meeting of the Junto Club. So in 1727, Benjamin Franklin organized a group of his friends to create a club around the idea of mutual improvement, where they discussed topics of science, philosophy, politics, and business, you know, around his time to try to learn more and learn from each other. So we're basically copying that. We're uh, three people who met at Georgia Tech during our PhDs. So uh, we're trying to continue some of the discussions we had there to kind of learn more about the world and improve ourselves. Uh, so today's main topic is going to be critical race theory. You know, it's been a thing that's been in the news a lot lately. Uh, you know, so the, the primary purpose will just be to understand what it actually is. And then, of course, you know, we'll talk about what we think about it a little bit as well. But before that, we always start with a quote from the, you know, Benjamin Franklin himself. So Shu. Take us into oh, that. All right. Today's quote is, quote, All things are cheap to the saving, dear to the wasteful, end quote. Any thoughts? My first thought is, isn't it backwards? <sighs> like people who want to save stuff are treating them like beer and people who are wasteful just think of them as cheap and pointless. Yeah, that's why... Same idea. That's why I'm a little bit confused too. So that's, that's why I want to ask you guys tonight. What do you think? <laughs> I'm just going to try to read it from the document. Cause All things mind... are cheap to the saving, dear to the wasteful. Hmm. Could you... I mean, could you flip the logic around and say like, oh, you know, someone who waste something they are using it right so maybe they it's kind of like you know they eat a dessert right they get a cake and they eat most of it in one night right and you could say that's wasteful but they are like enjoying it while someone who saves it it's not like i guess they value the pleasure of eating it less so it's cheap i mean i'm stretching here but you know maybe it seems backwards maybe it's not from the perspective of the people right like and like maybe people who are wasteful yeah they eat the cake and they don't like appreciate it but then they don't have it right so it is dear like or i mean really okay like money is like sort of the thing that comes to mind immediately so the people who are saving Mm. um what's the word he uses so all things are cheap to people who are saving so it's like i guess the people who are saving have the money to like get what they need whereas the people who are wasteful like you know they don't have the resources so i guess like so anything is dear to them that makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah. basically yeah. they're broke because they're wasteful thus everything seems very valuable that's what i'm thinking yeah nice that's good interpretation even though you are on 10 percent your brain capacity i think today so, so um 
I mean, yeah, I was going uh, along the same line, actually. I was thinking, or maybe he's talking about something in the future, right? So if you save, right, in the future, everything that you're going to have, you are able to afford a lot of stuff. But if you're wasteful now, in the future, everything's going to be very costly to you, right? So nice yeah. job, Mike. Nice job. I think Mike solved it. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Many topics. We had a few. So the first. Actually, IP- no. Oh, wait. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, first, the IPCC uh, released their new big report. Did you all see that? No. What, what's, no. The, what's the report? Uh, so, what's I the IPCC, actually? Uh, I believe it's the International Panel on Climate Change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, yeah. And they do these, you know, I think annual reports about, like, the state of climate change and stuff. And mostly, it was generally negative. You know, things are still getting worse and they want more action. But there was, mm-hmm. there were a few nice points or good signs in it. And one that, one in particular. So a lot of people were dooming, right? Like being like, oh, you know, because I think they said there's basically no way we're going to avoid like less than 1.5 degrees uh, warming, degrees Celsius warming by like 2040 or something like that. But mm-hmm. I saw they were looking at a chart of, uh, electricity power added in the U.S. broken down like per year, broken down by uh, type. And in the last like fossil fuel based things have been going down mm-hmm. since maybe like 2014 or 2015 because there was a surge of natural gas, and since then they've been going down. And in the last year, basically no power was added to the grid produced by fossil fuels. Period. It was like less than one percent. You couldn't see it on the graph. It was pretty much all solar and wind, which obviously that doesn't get rid of what we have now, right? But I mean, mm-hmm. what you add every year, it accumulates to become, will accumulate and become a big portion of your uh, grid over time. So I was like, basically what that shows to me is that the economics of solar and wind are looking really good. Uh, and I think that's the most likely way we get meaningful change because governments have not shown uh, the ability to do more than mild action. Why there's, why there's no new fossil fuel energy production they just the why i assume it must be economic right people are like Mm -hmm. oh i could produce the same amount of power with solar panels for cheaper um there might also be there probably are people who are forward looking like concerned about newer regulations and stuff because of climate change hitting fossil fuels anyway right so even if the math makes sense right now they might be concerned about whether in 10 years like their investment will get like gutted because of uh, uh, changing per, uh, public perceptions and stuff. Cause I mean, more people are caring about climate change. That's the reality. Yeah. Like it is a trend up that more and more people are making considering it an important issue. Um, so again, so it's not great. We're definitely going to have some warming, but there's actually real potential to keep it to like, like it's probably won't go over 2.5 degrees Celsius and we could keep it down to like two or less if we actually took a little more action. So there's going to be damage and problems, but, you know, the world's not going to end. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought, because originally I thought when you put it on the topic here, I thought it's because the fossil fuel, the resource of fossil fuel is maybe dwindling. So that's why mm-hmm. we are having less new production. Well, that's in an effect because, I mean, the reality is over time it keeps it is, it's inevitably gets harder to get more fossil fuels over time. So fracking caused a big boom in natural gas because it was a new technique for extracting it that gave us access to a bunch of natural gas we didn't have before. 
Mm. But even that's the same, right? Then we get all the easiest, biggest spots to get it, natural gas from fracking, and we start using that up. And then they have to put more effort to find and extract. And that's just always the trend is going to be, it's going to be harder because there's a limited amount. I mean, eventually you'll run out, but I don't think we'll run out, you know, soon enough to address climate change. Yeah. So, Uh, But it does make the economics better over time for green energy. Yeah. Are you are you care a lot about climate change? Do you... I would say yes. That is one of my, you know, higher issues. Oh really? What about you, Mike? I mean, I I, I honestly think that, uh, I yeah. I mean, it's important, but I, I mean, exactly. I guess I think there are like technologies coming that can help to address it. I mean, mm. I, I don't know. I go back and forth depending. Like, do I think money? will be enough to let us destroy ourselves or not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I think technology is what's going to save humanity in this case. Cause yeah, the politics isn't going to work fast enough, but it'd be nice. I mean, like I said, politicians, politics has done some like governments have made a difference. Cause they actually, in the report, they talked about right now, I think we're aiming to around three degrees Celsius warming as like the kind of cutoff around 2100. But they said without any government action, they would have expected about 4.5. So like we have made a difference, even though it's still bad, but like, it's mm. not like could have been worse. So, yeah, I guess anyway. my, my question, the reason I asked that because somehow, somehow I, I cannot get myself to get really interested in climate change, mm-hmm. right? Not concerned, even concerned about it. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just self selfish and don't really want to think about a future generation or something in the future. It's just somehow it's just something that I just, it's one of those things that I don't really read about or, you know, seek out, you know, I don't really concern about it at all. So, yeah. But, but that's exactly why we need people like you, Matt, to be really concerned about it. So you can do all the hard work for people like me. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if there's much work I can do right now, but you can vote in a way <laughs> that votes for people who don't deny man-made mm-hmm. climate change. That's probably right. the best thing you can do. So. And right. invest in renewables that's true and you know buy an electric car some solar panels you know that's helpful too right support the market for green energy but uh-huh no i i, I still love my good old combustion engine so. <laughs> yeah. i would i would never go electric all right <laughs> we're gonna have problems too <laughs> no it's fine all right sorry so next topic what were you going to talk about Shu? oh this have you heard of anything called Set Park Taro. So it's spelled as C E P A K and then T A K R A W. C Park Tarok Takro. So Did you click on the link I put posted? I clicked on the link. I was not familiar with this name at all, but I think I've seen it once before. It's oh, basically really? volleyball played with your feet, right? Yeah, and I, I saw a picture and I somehow it just popped out on my YouTube feed. And I was like, what the heck is this? And it's like just just someone like flying in the air and just kicking the ball. It's like it's it's like volleyball, yeah, as you say, it's like it's called I think it's called kick volleyball. Yeah. So uh-huh. I was like, This is crazy. I never seen it before. I was like, why is this not in the Olympics, right? Uh-huh. I mean, you- I guess. I think I think real volleyball looks seems better to me. because you can yeah, kick but, it in real volleyball, you know. But this, I know, but this is way harder. 
<laughs> it is. Right? But I mean, judo sport, just because you make it harder to do something basic, it doesn't make the sport better. But this is crazy though, right? Can it you kick crazy. a volleyball over the net? I can. Not cool, but I can kind of like, you know, just loop it over the net. <laughs> Maybe not accurately, but I could do it. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on it when you saw first saw it? You don't, well, I mean, my impression is like, what the fuck? This is really cool. And I, I mean, amazing. Right. But I guess you, you don't really care. It seems, no, it's cool. It's a little crazy, right? It's like I said, it's one of those things that just makes it difficult kind of for the sake of making it difficult. I wonder if mm. it started as like soccer players wanting to train or something. Well, I mean, it's Muay Thai. I mean, from Thailand, I think, right? Originally in Thailand or something. So maybe it's, it's a good way to practice your kicks, you know, mm. as a martial artist. So, I mean, Taekwondo people would probably be very good at it. That's true. <laughs> it probably would be. Yeah. Anyway, so you, you, you mentioned that volleyball, in actual volleyball, you can use your feet too, right? So You can. You can. You I mean, they don't generally. And I think there are some restrictions about it. You might not be able to actually use your feet to kick it over the net, just like yeah. on your side. Mm. But you can, like, if you're, like, running to get it because mm. it went really far in the back, you can, like, kick it back to your teammates. That's definitely legal. I don't oh, know okay. all the detail rules, but. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's go. All right, let's get into the main topic now. Ooh, okay. So main topic, understanding critical race theory. All right. So I think first of all, y'all should tell me what you think critical race theory is before I try to explain what I think it is. So for me, mainly I didn't really get into uh try to study it or read as much a lot of stuff. I just like go through some of the part one article you posted, but I didn't really finish it because uh I want, I, as I mentioned before, I like to stay ignorant so I can ask questions. So, so um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't really know what it was about, really. I, I, even I read some of it, I don't really and I understand like, like clearly like what it actually is. So that's why I, I want you to talk about it. Mm. So, Mike? You got any perspective, Mike? Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, I think it's just uh, something like, I don't know if it's, I mean, honestly, it's, I hear mostly about it in the context of education. So, mm. but I mean, I guess it's just sort of the understanding that there may be like biases depending on sort of race, ethnicity, like, you know, and, and in the context of education, it's teaching like history with those like biases more explicitly acknowledged. Mm. I think that that's a part of it. So I think that's not bad. Um, and it, it is, it's going to be a little tough. I'm just going to say, I've probably done, I definitely have done more research on this topic than any of the ones before, because it can be a little bit of a amorphous concept. Yeah. Even people who are like experts <laughs> in this would say that. Um, but okay. So I think it helps <clears throat> to kind of talk about how it originated and there's kind of like a, an original core and then it's expanded a lot from there to be used okay. in a lot of different ways, which is why it's sometimes hard to pin down. But the origin is basically the fact that post-civil rights movement, there are still significant racial disparities in the U.S. That's a fact. You can't dis disagree with that. But mm -hmm. And then the question began in legal studies about why. Like, why do these racial disparities, why are they persisting? And specifically, is there some aspect in society and law sort of that is, you know, creating or holding on to these disparities? So they wanted to basically investigate... What? What do you mean by disparity and like racial disparity? Things like, you know, 
black people have a or more black people are in poverty have mm. more you know higher infant and a lot of things associated with that like higher infant mortality lower uh you know lower edu like graduation rates or college degree rates and like various things so I'll, anything like all these big metrics for populations that you say are good there's racial disparities in almost gotcha. all of them mm. um so there's basically the question is like, why is that? And again, and what they really wanted to look at is like structural racism. So things mm. that in the law and in the systems of society that are kind of built in. Um, so that's kind of the very core. Mm. And I think that ask, basically asking that question, I think is very reasonable, very, I would say it's a good thing, right? Be like, why trying to understand why those disparities exist is going to be the first step to like actually addressing them and fixing them, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think many people would argue against that by any means, even though later on we're going to get to some stuff that's probably more controversial. Well, you um, say you post-civil war or civil, civil rights. Post-civil so, rights. So when would the EGA actually get started? Like, you know, approximately in a year, like 1970? Uh, it's, it was... Yeah, I think the name originated in the very early eighties, but I think they attributed some of, to some of the ideas and work before that to like the seventies. Mm. I'm trying to remember there was some, the name came out, there was some basically like conference or seminar mm. where Kimberly Crenshaw and a few other kind of, of the originators of it basically okay. created the name mm. um, at the same time, but I don't remember what year it is exactly, but it was I around see. that time, late seventies, so early eighties, I think. Who are the originator? You said you mentioned Kimberly. Or, you know, now, Kimberly who are they? Are they like professors? Or are they, yeah. What they doing? Yeah. They're mostly legal. The very first people were largely legal professors. So people mm. doing like the study of law. Um, mm. Since then it's expanded a lot into other areas. Kind of the ideas have kind of, grown and extended so you see it in a lot of like sociology history education mm. a lot of people in education want to apply it and stuff like that so okay. but, but yeah it started as a legal thing which i sometimes a minor note sometimes when i was watching some of the news reports where people are trying to talk about it they're like oh critical race theory is just a niche legal study and um mm. and that's kind of they're trying to sometimes i feel like they're intentionally trying to play it down you know mm -hmm. to make it seem but like, cause that's maybe how it started, but it's definitely expanded beyond that. And there's a lot of books on it that mm. will say exactly that. Um, if you read some of the big books on it, but not getting into too many details right now. So, okay. So we have this original question, like, you know, why are there racial disparities and is there things, structural issues in society that are creating them mm. from there? There's, so then they kind of basically ideas, they wanted to really do these analysis on different parts of society to try to answer that question. Some so so there's some big core tenets that I will say that are very common or mostly universal within proponents and you know advocates of critical race theory. Um, there's first is race as a societal con construct. So mm. separate from you know your ethnicity or the color of your skin, they they're concerned with race as the social dynamics between groups that are assigned different races. Mm. Uh, and I mean the law did in the past, you know, the law explicitly had you know explicitly addressed different racial groups in different ways and part of that was determining who was in what racial group so mm -hmm. the social construct of race in terms of law does definitely has like a foundation mm -hmm. um, um second principle that american society and law has institutionalized racism built in and this is not a question of individuals this is what they'll say a lot is it's not about individuals being racist in terms of like saying hateful things or doing hateful things to people of other races but it's about um the impact of systems and institutions. Mm. 
You mean the institution, like policies and stuff like that? Like the yeah. government is... Yeah. Like, Everything from, you know, who gets, you know, who gets the investment into their education versus where they build a bridge or a highway, you know, do mm. they build up things like that. So, gotcha. and we'll get into some more examples later, but mm. things like that. So, or I guess the quick one is like, you know, there's examples where they built highways in like the 60s through black neighborhoods, right? And that like mm. disrupted the walkability and the ability for people to go between businesses and stuff and made mm. it generally their homes less valuable because they're right next to busy highways and exposed to some more to pollution, blah, 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 blah. So things like that, which you on the surface, you're like, it's just a highway, but then you look at like, oh, wait, was this like maybe even targeted to, you know, harm certain people? Okay. Third. So a big part of the evidence they really like to use is what they'll call lived experiences, or sometimes mm. they call this naming one's own reality, where uh, more than statistical data. So they'll look at they'll look at statistical data in terms of racial disparities and stuff. But when they're trying to explain and understand why, a lot of this is sort of narrative driven, like I said, lived experiences where the authors themselves or people they've talked to, it's sort of the stories and how they view the world and how things are working. So that's a big source of what kind of drives how they think about things. Um, and I think a really important here part, a fourth tenet is they're very skeptical of colorblind or race neutral policies. So post-civil rights, a big part of, I think the idea was integration and colorblindness was sort of like the goal, right? We put everyone mm. together, you treat everyone the same. We're now going to be like this harmonious society. So what they'll say is at the least they will say, we, we, can't not, we can't be race neutral right now because one, people can't be race neutral. And two, they'll say there's historical discrepancies that have already you know, been created that need to be corrected for. Hmm. Some will also say that race neutral is impossible, period. So there's no potential future utopia where we don't care about race any more than hmm. we care about eye color, right? Hmm. So, but, but that's a little more debated. But most will say we're like the idea that we're race treating things colorblind right now, they'll say is harmful because it's not things aren't even so treating everyone as even uh doesn't help fix the problem hmm. so those i think are the biggest tenets so the the four so the first one is social construct is race is a social construct right but what mm-hmm. does uh the second one is institutional structure nice and the other one is the third one is i live experience the fourth one is a colorblind policy. So I want to go back to the social construct. Like what do you mean by, why is that important for the critical race theory? So they, so basically, this has just has, it has to do with a lot about how they think about race because mm-hmm. they, they don't think about race the same as I think people, you know, normally use it because the idea mm-hmm. is really to break races into two groups, the oppressed and the oppressors. So this is kind of barring some ideas. You mean race or racism? Race. Well, yeah, race. So this is barring some ideas from Marx here. And this is not not that CRT is Marxism, but it does sort of adopt some ideas from it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, breaking things down into press and oppressors. And that's, so the key is they're, they're concerned about the social dynamics between groups that are oppressing or the sort of the winners in the hierarchy and groups that are oppressed, the losers mm-hmm. in the hierarchy. And that's the important part of race that they're concerned about. And the idea is race, what we call white and black has changed over time. So like when Irish and Italians came over at first, they weren't considered white, but then after a little while, they kind of got integrated into the idea of who was white or not. Mm. Um, 
So the idea that they say, you know, race as a social construct is a thing. There's definitely a social construct of race, and that's what they're concerned with. So the dynamics based on how society perceives people of different groups. This does sometimes get, again, controversial because one thing that means they don't really care about skin color at all. Um, so sometimes if if you're, say, a Black person who basically embraces so let's say America is dominated by like whiteness in the sense that it just assumes it has kind of an assumption of white culture, white norms that are like, that's like the best and normal and whatever. And they'll mm-hmm. say, you can be a black person who's kind of fully assimilated into that, you know, believes that, thinks that way, et cetera. And they'll say, okay, you might be black, but in a lot of ways you are, they'll say you are white. Yeah. Um, and it, Asians are, Asian Americans are definitely thrown into this a lot. Often they'll just sort of group Asian Americans in with white people as sort of like the white group just because, you know, they are also generally successful, you know, and mm. the, so they're then put into the oppressor category. Mm. So right. that, that's kind of how they're viewing race. It's again, I think it's important to say, I, th- I think there is a different way. It's a different way to use it, but like mm. there is a social construct of race. I don't like when sometimes they say that is what race is. Cause obviously there's like a different element to it um, mm. that most people think about, but you know, this also exists for sure. So you so they so the tenant is the race is a social construct. So what are the people from the other side that disagree with this? What do they what's what's their view on race as social construct? Construct. I'm assuming what? that people and like more conservative people maybe like like people and I like try to ban like critical theories like education right now, right? So do they what do they see race as? if it's not social construct well i think the other side mainly takes a biological view of it right like ethnicities mm. i mean ethnicities exist right and mm. i mean you can have a 26 and what 23 in me sorry not 26 you can have a 23 in me test and i'll tell you where your ethnic heritage is using your dna stuff so they'll say you know race is basically a grouping of ethnicities together that's you know um more biological and obviously that's a very inaccurate and loose grouping that's more based on visibility than you know actual dna right because we there can be it's not accurate for sure um but yeah anyway so that's the sort of other perspective yeah pushes race more tries to find more concrete terms for it which does have some definitely has some inaccuracies in how that's used but yeah so sometimes i guess i do get confused about like the race and ethnic groups right to me right uh, race and like ethnic group are very i feel like they're the same thing right but you are just telling me that it's not so what exactly is ethnic group i guess you say ethnic group is based on like dna stuff i think ethnicities is more concretely okay oh i should have googled this i didn't google i didn't <laughs> research this but i believe ethnicity is much more concretely based on like your heritage right so like mm. you know there's different groups of people have different heritage literally different dna mm. um Got you, got you. I but would, I think most I people just use race so. and ethnic as a like race as a just a general categorization on like different kind of people, right? Based on their ethnic. So I mean mm-hmm. personally I think for I guess I use it very commonly. So people like me, like most people don't really study as much as other people and they were just using the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So no, and I agree. And I think I think it's just yeah, I think it's just about a lot of this originated in an academic field where they sort of, you know, define terms in a way that's not how normal their, mm. their casual usage. 
Yeah. Um, and I think it's just recognizing that, okay, this term can be used in more than one way. And it means mm. they're, it's, they're somewhat related, but they mean different things, right? Mm. Okay. Even if they're connected to the same idea, I guess, but they mean different things. So they, mm. they're, so in this t- discussion, races, we're going to be using race as the social construct of race. Because mm. whether you, whether what you say race is, specifically semantics right but there mm. is a social construct attached to race that yeah, exists based on based on critical race yeah. theory and that's what they believe yeah well uh, yeah i mean that is what they believe and i think that is again i think that's something that's hard to argue against pretty much you're pretty much wrong if you want to say that's not true that that exists now whether you say that is what race fundamentally is again <laughs> that's a little bit semantics but yeah there is exactly. the social construct exists mm. all right so um so you know some whew, so those are some of the big tenants um but can i go into number three before you sure. go on so you say live experience now what, what does that mean actually i mean you say leaks experience what, what do you mean by as a core source of evidence what does that mean right so basically a lot of the writing um mm. and talks and stuff will use the experiences of the author or the person themselves or people they talk to as evidence of understanding how and why a system or an institution is racist and harming people who are you know, in the oppressed category, generally black people, but also sometimes Hispanics or other groups of color. Um, so like, you know, so they'll be like, oh, here's a paper. They'll, they'll sometimes talk about their own thing, like their experience in the schooling system, right? And things mm-hmm. that happened to them that was harmful and then say, and that's why these, and then they'll be like, and this is why this racial disparity exists is because of stuff like this. So there's a, mm-hmm. this really big push for this as, which is, I mean, it, it's it's anecdotal evidence. So there's yeah, a big so, push to use it as a as a primary uh, argument, primary argument, basically. Yeah, to me, that just sounds to me a very soft evidence, right? If it's just leave experience anecdotal, right? It's not really. Uh, so why why did they do that? Why don't they, can they not find any like data like, to show that like, oh you know this area of neighborhood is really there's a huge disadvantage because of I feel like I feel like there's a lot of evidence. Why do they have to use live experience? I feel like that, that could make became a very a big witness, right? Because you can well, always find anecdotal stories about some specific uh, uh, story to explain your uh, your theory, right? So, so I do agree with you on that, but I, I want to clarify something. So they're not using anecdotal evidence to point out that there is a problem. So again, mm-hmm. the racial disparities, the evidence for that is easily found and brought up like mm. the hard numbers, yeah. but they're using it is to try to explain it to say, okay. is this, is this institution racist or maybe more concretely? Cause often they'll say, well, the discrepancy exists. Thus it is racist. Essentially they'll feel like the discrepancy implies directly that it is, but they'll say like how and why, like what is it happening? That's causing this. This mm. is when they sort of bring in the anecdotes or the, the lived experiences to try to explain how and why this is happening. What's creating the disparity. Okay. Mm. They are not using it like to support like the disparity actually exists. They try to explain why. Yeah. Okay. And then of course, and then you know, and if because you can explain why, then you can maybe address how to fix it. Um, Mm, Okay. And but I think there is some fair criticism to say like this sort of logic is, yeah, it's soft. It kind of kind of it can't. You can use anecdotes to support almost anything, right? I mean, that's Mm, just fact of life um you know people use anecdotes and stuff to support awful terrible views and ideas it's Mm. much the same way they weave a narrative based on some experiences that might not be representative of reality or what's normal yeah um so i think it is 
not the greatest method. And there are people who do research into structural and institutional racism that try to take a more statistical approach. I was reading mm. at least one paper where they were like, why are there differences in graduation rates between black people and white people who go to undergrad colleges, right? So then they're trying to do the statistical analysis to say like, well, what if we take out the scholarly ability based on grades and test scores? What if we look at, you know, take out family income and wealth? Like, is that what's causing it? You know, one thing they found when they took, looked at all these factors, they found like which colleges they went to made a big difference because there's still a moderate amount, not segregation per se, but there's definitely biases where some schools are historically black, have a lot more black students. Some schools are mostly white and have a lot more white students. And they found that was like one of the biggest factors in terms of graduation rates. Mm. So, you know, that's kind of an alternative approach. You try to take the more objective empirical view, but um, critical race theorists are sometimes critical of that approach, um, thinking it's inadequate to basically address the issues. Mm. Okay. Ooh. Okay. So, Next thing, I was just going to go a few, a few of the, um, you know, so, <clears throat> so, so that's Actually, can we, can you go into some of the controversies like, between the people against this theory before you, or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Think? Yeah. We can skip to, we'll say the fun part. <laughs> yeah. And then so, let's, let's start, let's start with the fun part first. Then we can go give you. Uh, we got some, so they're, they, they have some grounded examples. Let's see. Criti- I, I got some notes here. I'm going through them. So I think a little bit, sometimes I feel like when I was reading about this is sort of a Moat and Bailey experience. Are you all familiar with the Moat no. and Bailey? No. What that, what's that? Okay. It's a, it's sort of like a, I'm not sure if it's a fallacy or an argumentative technique. I'm not sure what you qualify it as, but the idea is that there's, there's fields there. The analogy is like a moat and a Bailey where you have this Bailey field that's hard to defend kind of in mm-hmm. the open. And then you can retreat behind your moat to sort of your castle to where it's safe, easy to defend. So mm-hmm. this is used in like arguments and debates where they say, you'll, you'll present, you know, people will say something that's attacked easily. And when they're attacked, they'll be like retreat to a more reasonable defensible position. But as soon as you're not like, you know, debating with them or being critical, they, you know, then go back to sort of the less defendable thing. Uh, and I sometimes it felt like a little bit reading some of this stuff because you'll have some of the academics, some of the course will say things that are very, you know, seem very reasonable, very true, good insights. And then, but some of the applications, you're like, I can't believe that stem from this way of thinking, these analysis, this approach you, seem crazy. For you're example, talking about the, you're talking about the proponents of the critical race theory. Yeah, or people who are trying to apply it. Um, mm, yeah. for example, this is actually something I was just looking at, um, in Atlanta, a few days ago, someone, uh, a black woman is suing her school because she found out she, she wanted to know, she was trying to find the best teacher for her second grade daughter. So oh, she's yeah. trying to find the teacher who's like, uh, best fits her daughter's learning style. And then the principal basically told her, he's like, well, we can't put her in with this teacher that you like, because that's not one of the black classrooms. <laughs> And what? she's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't have a black classroom. But um, the, basically, the, the black principal... Um, what school is this? Some school in Atlanta. You can Google it. I got the link to the news article in our document that uh, people can't see. I mean, it sounds a little crazy, right? And this is what the, uh, this is what the mom said. She's, like, I, she's basically like, I couldn't believe what I just heard. But mm-hmm. um, the idea is the you know, the black principal basically is like wanted to 
basically they said they wanted to create a community between the you know students of color so they're going to put them all in the same class and i hadn't really got talked i hadn't gotten to this exactly yet but some now this isn't all but some critical people who try to apply these ideas are basically come around to a pro-segregation mindset um where they i think i think the logic is essentially they don't think that integration will ever lead to equality they're like us integrating into quote unquote white society isn't going to lead to like an equal thing. And if it is, it's like, even then it's kind of assumes assimilation into that. So rather they say it would actually be better to sort of have their separate community where they can sort of, you know, do their own thing, you know, embrace so, their own values and stuff. Yeah. But so, in app, so in application, what this happens is there's instances of this where they're actually re-implementing segregation. So yeah, you're, you're saying in this school, in elementary school in Atlanta, is try to apply critical theory, and then the the way they do it is to separate like black kids into black classes. Yeah, is that the way it? I would say it is some people. Some people who write on critical race theory argue for basically racial separation. Mm. Basically, what they want to say is, so remember, I mentioned, okay, their assumption is that American institutions are inherently racist, right? They're imbued with systemic racism. Okay. So, you know, so an alternative is essentially to create their own separate institutions and systems via basically uh, segregating Mm. again. Um, you know, to create their own thing. So, and this gets applied in different ways. Um, and I, I mean, on one hand, I don't think the principle was like, this is CRT that I'm doing. Like he didn't state it exactly, but it's pretty clear. You can see the lines of like, you know, the people, the authors, the people who write on this stuff, the logic yeah. and reasoning as it gets applied, this clearly comes from the same, you know, stems from the same origin. But as I said, it's an amorphous concept because there's definitely going to be people who advocate for CRT who are like, this is terrible. We shouldn't do that. And that's, they're, they're, they're not lying. They're not tricking you. It's just that it is a very amorphous idea that can be applied in a lot of ways to mean a lot of things. Um, but the reality is it seems many of the applications turn into things that are kind of terrible. Or at least a lot of the applications I've seen. Of course, it's more easy to see the stuff that generates controversy, right? But it is, is not just like one elementary school. I know there's some reporter who was looking at corporations and a lot of them are doing diversity training sort of basing off ideas from here and they do segregate their employees that are training mm. based on their race now and that's maybe less extreme than oh, elementary school um, hold on it's actually hold on a thought actually it's, i just found out it's a mary ling elementary school <laughs> actually i actually i actually taught martial arts there like after school program oh yeah <laughs> i know exactly where it is but yeah, everybody. I mean, everybody was very nice in that school, but I don't know why. But anyway, it's a, it's a nice school actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's not like like I said, like the the I believe is the principal who did this was black themselves. It's not like they were trying yeah. to be hurt black children. I think I think and honestly, I think what they they believe they're doing something good for them. Mm. Uh, now, whether you think that is good or not is obviously a very controversial idea. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so that is some of the controversies we see, uh, coming out for how this stuff is applied. It's interesting how they do it. Cause, uh, cause if in that Mary Lynn school, I think it was majority and he's Mike's, I see it's majority white actually. I don't really, I think when I was like helping teaching a martial art class, um, uh, karate class, I didn't really see many, that many like, uh, black students. So 
Mm-hmm. I think it looked like, based on what they said, there, there were going to be six classes, and two of them were going to be black. Black classes, so that's a, roughly the ratio. And then the yeah. mom was complaining. She's like, so, you know, my child only gets the option of two teachers because she's black. Yeah. You know, which is okay. a fair complaint. But, yeah, you yeah. know, someone else might argue, does it benefit the student to be around, you know, other people of color predominantly? Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Some people would say it will. Some people say it won't. Mm-hmm. Again, controversial ideas for sure. Um, and also probably illegal. Uh, you know, we <laughs> yeah. got to see it play out, but I'm pretty sure that goes against some laws we have. Wow, wow, wow. Not okay. a lawyer, but right. uh, <laughs> so yeah, so that's <laughs> one of them. So let's, uh, let's, so I'll, all right, I'll go into one of the, what I thought was the most, this was definitely the thing that the most kind of threw me for a loop because I couldn't believe it when I read it. Um, okay. So the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Yeah, they put out a poster on. Um, let's see, I'm pulling out the example: the poster of assumptions of whiteness and white culture in the United States. So what they're mm-hmm. trying to do, and again, this is one of the ideas in critical race theory, is that you know you have these things are sort of built into our society, um, and we have to like kind of analyze them and address them, root them out, etc., understand them because they create implicit biases and stuff like that, mm. which is fine on the surface. But so in the in the poster about white culture, they they mention things like assigning to white culture things like rational thinking, hard work, and uh, I believe there is something on valuing education as well. Okay, um, which is just I mean it hurts, it hurts to <laughs> it almost hurts to say right because I'm like this is almost what this is like just the same thing I've seen white supremacists basically say just like reframed Mm. uh you know i was watching (laughs) like quite literally i was watching a uh dr trisha rose is a sociologist i was watching a presentation from her Mm. on structural racism and she kind of like basically she was talking about okay the disparities exist and there's like there's two theories why these disparities exist one was structural racism it's systemic things like hiring discrimination differences in opportunities, social networks, you know, you know, people, they get you in, you know, your dad knows someone, he gets you a job. The other view was that as individual, that the racial disparities come from individual actions. So culture, behavior, et cetera. Um, And this is something you'll see from the right. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, you know, the problem, why are there more poor black people? It's because their behavior, you know, they don't value education or hard work or something like white people do. Mm. And that's so, so, a portion of CRT is said it fights against that. They say that's nonsense. You know, let's look at the systemic issues that are causing this problem. But then yeah. you sort of got this loop back where uh, some people are like, well, actually, like this stuff is white culture and it's, it's, this is white culture that's embedded because, you know, uh, it's a little mind blowing well, when I read that. Well, why is it mind blowing? What do you mean by, do you mean like what the poster says classify white culture as value, uh, education, hardworking? rational stuff was yeah what's wrong there's other things too there is a list well i think the implication is that would mean black culture doesn't value this right uh, i mean what's the purpose what's the purpose of the poster net national museum of african american history and culture why why did they post that what's the purpose of the poster it was trying to look at sort of white dominant culture and how their sort of traditions and attitudes have been normalized or considered standard practice in the united states 
So, so they try to educate people about white culture, and that's how they describe white culture. And they kind of, I assume, in a net museum of African Americans' history, they actually support this description of white culture. Right. Well, and I mean, you... they put the poster out, and then it was taken <laughs> back after the controversy. But uh, okay, what was the controversy? People were like, "This is super racist." Who? Who are the people? Like, I think most of it was conservatives and right-leaning people. Um, uh, but I'm sure there's some left-leaning people who are also like, "This is not <laughs> what we want to be saying, or what who, we're trying to say." What? The, what are the conservatives? Uh, like, what would they don't like about the, the poster? I mean, what do they say is a racist? Like, about that, you know, hard work is part of white culture. Okay. So they say, so they say, like say yeah, why, 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 her first, her use, like, describe all these characters. I say, is, is the net, like, belong to everybody? Don't everybody value that? Why do, why does it have to be white culture? Right. So I think that's I, what I, a lot of people would say. Got you. Got you. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, the poster, you you were shocked because the poster kind of implies that the other cultures don't value these, especially black, right? Yeah. Culture. Yeah. I mean, okay. I think that I think it has to imply that, right? If you're describe, mm-hmm. if you're trying to describe what's unique or different about white culture, the implication <laughs> yeah. is the other culture doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Um, have those attributes. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, also this is why sometimes Asian Americans are thrown in sort of into the group of whiteness now. It's because they'll say, "Oh, a lot of these cultural values are shared. So they sort of are part of the same, you know, culture and system." Um, mm, okay, yeah, and that's kind of kind of crazy. So you say that is also based on kind of critical race theory in a way. There's yes, I I would definitely say that is sort of an one of the outshoots of people how people think and talk about it, right? Because it, mm. it kind of the steps from, okay, we assume there's like systemic racism built into these institutions, um, mm. you know, our law, our society, whatever. And then it, then they're saying, oh, there's also just, you know, it's not just about the laws, but it's about the assumptions and the cultural assumptions and values and stuff built into these institutions. And then they're mm-hmm. like, well, let's identify these, you know, and say what these are, which up to some point seems reasonable. But again, it's sort of then you, when you work back to saying, you know, what again, what I think a lot of it was opposed to was a lot of the original stuff is like, hey, like these racial disparities are not just because black people don't work as hard, there's like systemic mm-hmm. issues. But then yeah. if you go back to the systemic issues is society values hard work and that's you know something about whiteness and not just general a human mm-hmm. thing. Uh, you know, sort of you sort of re- it's weird. It's weird, yeah. you know? I don't <laughs> Yeah. Um but yeah, but I mean that's again, these are some of the most extreme examples there because and there are definitely extreme examples of how how it's applied Mm. i think a more moderate example is um or may maybe a more enlightening example comes from a paper called towards a critical race a critical theory of uh sorry toward a critical race theory of education Mm. so this is probably one of the most cited papers on critical race theory period like mm-hmm. 7,000 something. So a big one. Mm-hmm. And they talk about critical race theory and how it applies in education. And there's deep, good paper. You can learn a lot from it, but there's one passage I wanted to talk about in specific where they said, while some might argue that poor children, regardless of race, do worse in school and the high proportion of African-American poor contributes to their dismal school performance. We argue that the cause of their poverty in conjunction with the condition of their schools and schooling is institutional and structural racism. 
Now, this is, I think, is a really interesting part that sort of maybe can help understand the difference in viewpoint. Mm. So I think it's well known that the school system is set up in the America kind of screws poor people over. You use mm. property taxes to fund this local school systems, which yeah. means wealthy people get a lot more funding for their public schools mm. than poor people do. Yeah. Um, you know, so this obviously can help propagate poverty. It's one of the things. There's lots of things that help propagate poverty, but this is one of them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. poor public school public schools and poor areas are much less funded, along with the other issues that they have beyond funding. Um, that affects everyone, white and black people all races but yeah their argument essentially i wish the paper would have talked about this a little more i'm glad they at least acknowledged it but it was sort of like acknowledged and brushed off they're saying well because of historical reasons the historical disadvantages that were very real and very racist um you know have made more black people be in poverty anything that i'm basically things that hurt people in poverty more than are racist Mm. um and that is a view you can take i think a lot of people would say um you know okay well this is like, it's a problem. The disparity is a problem and the things that hurt poor people are a problem. But if it hurts poor people independent of their race, it's not racist mm-hmm. on its own. It's just, it's just an issue of poverty. Yeah. Um, but the, I think that helps to illustrate a little bit that. So when you tie in the historical disadvantages and the fact that, you know, until the civil rights movement 50 something years ago, there were clear legal, you know, limp, basically clear legal harm done to black people mm-hmm. um, built into society. I mean, they, a lot of critical race theory says they're still built in society, but it's at least not explicit right now. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, pre-civil rights movement, it's like literally just explicit, um, you know, this creates the disparity and then things that hurt the poor people continue it. Um, you know, so that's, that's a different way to view it. Uh, mm-hmm. And a different way to view it maybe means a different way to address it. Right. If you, mm-hmm. If you just want to do just fix things that hurt the poor and then that helps black people who are poor as well, or do you need to do something specific, you know, for black communities that are in poverty, you know, mm. which is the bigger priority? Mm. So, well, well, I guess besides that, what do the paper suggest? Any, anything you can do with education? Mm. It didn't make some suggestions at the end. I'm trying to remember them. So it's not so. I mean, the title is toward a critical race theory of education, right? So, what is not? So it's still toward. I mean, so it's a critical theory, but it's specifically for education, right? Yeah, it's basically was the majority of the paper was explaining critical race theory and how you mm. can apply its thinking to education. But critical mm. race theory is definitely more. It's more the core of it's more about finding and analyzing problems, presenting mm. solutions is happens, but it's not as clear. There's not a clear comprehensive, how do we fix this by any means? Um, a lot of people don't really present solutions. They just point out the problems initially. Yeah. Um, so some people, again, some, some of the more radical people will say like the solution is essentially to recreate institutions either they'll either some people will be like we just have to like destroy and recreate all institutions from the ground up so that we can create them without these structural racism built in Mm. some people will say we need different basically segregation again different institutions for black people or people of color separate from the white institutions because they i assume they don't believe otherwise they won't be able to have equality uh, because the other institutions will always be biased Mm. Um, but 
I, this is not, there's definitely not a coherent or clear, like, Hey, this is what critical race theory says, how we're going to fix everything. There's just mm. a lot of people who are applying it in different ways to, you know, how they think it will help. Mm. Yeah. I mean, another example you're talking about, like black classes earlier, right? I mean, we have like historic black colleges, right? Those are only, those are only for black F- students, I guess. They're right. not only for them, but they're predominantly oh. black. But oh, so you white, white students can apply to you as well. Yeah, and they do. Oh. There's most of them have white. Oh, and that's why I they call his- have white students. And that's why they call historic black colleges, yeah. I guess. So okay, yeah. So so let's go. So in the paper again, you say what's the difference between the critical race theory for education and critical race theory itself? Is is there any distinctions or not? I mean. It's just, well, you could, you can either, you can talk about critical race theory. You can either say it was about the law, because that's the very origins of it. Or you could just say it's, it's a general thing that can be applied, like a general idea, right? Trying to methods about how they want to analyze and deconstruct different areas and find and understand the systemic racism and address it. And if you take that broader viewpoint, then you can apply it to a lot of different areas. Education would be one of them. So Uh. trying to look into the you know parts of education that um you know reasons to get, why education try to, is try, try to narrow the disparity in educational out- outcome basically right so mm-hmm. yeah okay so why so talking about education i think recently i mean a big controversy I mean, and it's what i heard in the news is all, all like governors senators you know conservative senator government they try to ban that like, critical theory education in school like you know, I think one article you mentioned, uh, you posted was like uh, Texas governor, right? He tried to ban like critical race theory. Like, mm-hmm. well, what's what's the story there? <laughs> I think it's okay. So it's mostly the right freaking out excessively because um, I don't, I don't think I've saw anything about people teaching critical race theory to kids because it's kind of a hard subject. At least it's mm-hmm. like I said, it's amorphous. It's somewhat involved it's not something you can easily teach to kids certainly not younger kids however i will say i think there are a lot of schools that are applying it to their educational practices so mm. they'll use some of the ideas for justification for doing some things i know why in atlanta Maryland. that being one of the most extreme examples by surely but i've seen other i've seen things glancing through things people who say tracking like doing gifted and honors and ap and stuff they might yeah. say like hey this is a problem because they're Generally, there's a big disparity between the, you know, how many, like what proportion of the kids in the school are black and what proportion of the students in gifted classes are black. It's usually, you know, much lower. So they'll say this is a problem. Oh, you, you're saying that you're saying that people are like, supporters of like critical race theory, they try to eliminate gifted classes. Some there. I have seen that argument that yeah, yeah. Get things tracking like gifted classes, you know, further perpetuates um disparities so so what the point though is i think you see education some people are applying it to how they run the education i don't Mm. think anyone is i haven't seen anything about people actually teaching it to kids yeah Um, so you know banning so banning the teaching of it i don't think will do anything either way Um, yeah yeah Yeah, i guess just converse and maybe they just being just try to play politics i guess just make it I feel like the way they try to ban it and make it more controversial just make people more people try to learn about it and talk about it. You spread, <laughs> you you spread the, the idea by banning it, right? 
So the, yeah. that's the best way to spread <laughs> ideas by banning it. I, that's definitely true. I probably would have never re- bothered reading about it if you know that yeah. hadn't been the big freakout. Um, yeah, I'll, I mean, well, the, it's this is just the long list of culture war items, and mm. it's funny because I think again, there's a lot of ways you can sort of apply and approach critical race theory in a broad sense, and people do. But the core of it, you know, it's almost like so to me, it's almost so obvious and a true truism that is kind of like, okay, like mm. there's still racism in the U S right. Like that's the simplest statement of like critical race that you could be is like, there's still racism. And it's like, obviously. Right. But there are people on the right who would argue against that. And basically are like the U S is a perfect meritocracy that those exist. They're silly, but they so, exist. So, so what, what's your thoughts on the, the people that try to carry on the night, uh, Give the classes. Uh, so, as someone who was in them, I think that's a terrible idea. I think it, you mean. Yeah, are you saying gift class is a terrible idea? Uh, no, getting <laughs> rid of them. Getting rid of them, or Why? or any of like the AP honors. Yeah. I think no, and it's an issue. If you, like, I understand the disparities that issue, but I think the solution is not to take away the opportunity. Period. Yeah. It's to ensure the opportunity is available to Black students and students of color in equal terms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like basically it's you don't get rid of something good you make sure everyone has access to the thing that's good is how i view it yeah you you don't you don't try to make a make everybody equal like by lowering the average by lowering the i guess the the cutting off the top performing student you 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 make them you know you don't try to equalize everybody by limiting the top students right that's Mm -hmm. the wrong way of doing it right you just make everybody average <laughs> yeah and i've seen this that's sort of i feel like i've seen that sort of idea applied in other cases where they're like you know basically i like just cut off the like the top to make things equal and it's like i don't know if that's the right way in general in principle and i think i think it's good generally not just for the smart students themselves but society in general when smart students are able to you know be given a basically more tailored education that helps them achieve more of their potential right yeah. Because I mean, so, you know, but, and it'd be great. It'd be really good if the smart black students got that same thing. And they so should. What, and it's yeah, clearly so, not happening. So, yeah. So, what really helped me actually understand this like, issue of like getting of like gift classes, try to focus on the deserved disparity, I think is uh, something from Lee Kuan Yew, the, mm. the one, the Singapore president we talked about previously. One thing he tried to do in Singapore is that. He, I mean, one his point is that policy all the time we try to focus on the outcome, right? Because the out, equality, like equality, like make everybody equal, like as outcome is is going to be misguided because uh, everybody is very different. Individualism, uh, individually, everybody is different, right? So you cannot really have an equal. I try to get equal outcome. What you should focus on is like is to provide equal opportunity to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. So you provide an equal opportunity, you know, some, and then someone might go faster. And then you, of course, you get them an opportunity to go faster, right? Regarding their race and stuff, right? So equal opportunity is, instead of like equal uh, outcome. Of course, you should as, focus on equal outcome as well because it's a feedback, it's feedback loop, right? You can measure your outcome, then you can go back. But I think a lot of times, feel like a lot of people just only focus on equal outcome they forgot that you know try to and then using that to inform the policy which could be misguided like 
getting of the gift plus, right? So mm -hmm. no, yeah. and that's true. Now, sort of taking the CRT viewpoint, I think the main thing that would be said would be, um, like you know, that assumes that sort of assumes an even playing field from the start, right? Mm. You say, oh, it's not about outcomes, it's about opportunity, but they'll say, well, the reason that there's these disparities in outcomes is because there's a disparity in opportunity. Mm. Um, and again, and it's very easy, it's very easy to point to historical examples of hard codified laws that created disparities between white and black people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a little bit more nuanced in modern days, again, because those are less explicit, but they'll say, what they would say is there's still these, um, some of these things are still built into our society and institutions, but yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, whew. but I, I mean, I, yeah, I agree. I largely agree with you. I don't, it's, it's, and I think a lot of people, even a lot of CRT people would be like, Hey, yeah, the important is about opportunity, not outcomes, but what they'll say is, we have to look closer to see if things are truly equal opportunity. And I think the big thing, a big part of that is carrying these historical disadvantages. You know, if your family was legally discriminated against, you know, you started behind because they were poor, less educated, et cetera, than the, you know, other guy's family who benefited during that time. So they had yeah. parents who were better off and could do more for them, giving them mm -hmm. a head start. That's, and they would say that's not equal opportunity. Yeah, yeah. America is a special case, right? Sometimes you kind of need to focus on the equal outcome, right? Because uh, it had been historically, people have been very, uh, I don't know, stigmatized or, you know, policy had been very harmful to the to the black community, right? So, mm -hmm. so, 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 yeah. Summarizing this, um, yeah, in my own view, I think the core, the coarse part of CRT, you know, that these disparities still exist and they're still racist in the society. And we should be asking, you know, why does this exist and how we fix it? Like hard, pretty much hard to argue against. It seems like obviously true. You can't really deny it. Mm -hmm. The methods about, you know, things like lived experiences, I'm a little like, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the best way to go about it. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm biased as a one, a liberal and two, someone, you know, who's done academic papers and stuff. I'm definitely biased for the, like, we should do statistical analysis side, but you know, methods are methods the end result actions also been like it's not necessarily clear that we've seen a lot of good ideas about how to address it is still a little skeptical mm. so you know but in the end if someone says like something something crt i think the biggest thing is you just have to it's so it's used so broadly it can be applied in so many ways you just have to say okay you're basing yeah. this on critical race theory like sure what do you actually want to do then right and then you have to address like the actual concrete point mm. well yeah true mike you've been great this discussion <laughs> yes yes <laughs> no. nice nice well you only you only had one hour sleep last night so you're good <laughs> no, you're so still it, standing so in some ways it's analogous it reminds me on multiple levels it's reminiscent of marxism but it reminds me of how they sometimes will point out real, what I'll say are real problems, things that we would like to fix in society. Mm. But then I'll say, but like socialism is a terrible idea and is not what we should do. Mm. Um, we've talked about this before, but you know, it's like there's ways to address and improve these things in the capitalist society. So it's like, sometimes it's like you're good at, someone can be good at pointing out a problem, but bad at finding a good solution. Mm. Oh, and that's, that's what 
CRT, like critical race theory, remind you of that? Yeah, some, sometimes <laughs> it seems like that to me. Again, mm-hmm. but like I said, there's a lot of people trying applying it in different ways. So there may very well be some really good but ideas a, about what we could do. But, but it's but, easier to find the crazy ones. Yeah. But in the beginning, I think you mentioned critical race theory. You know, and the purpose of it to study why, right? It's not to why disparity exists. It's not to pr- propose solutions, right? So, well, that's, I mean, that's the core, what I would say the most core point at the origin. I think most would say right now, most, most of the things I saw trying to define it in the broader sense would say it's not just understanding why, but trying to then use that knowledge to sort of create a more equitable society where mm-hmm. like oppression is basically they'll, you know, phrases like, you know, try to create a new society where there's not oppression is mm-hmm. one way it's, I've seen it phrased. So there's definitely a call to activism um, within CRT. Mm. Actually, can you talk about redlining? I think you put it on here, but I actually don't know what it is. Oh, redlining was like an old, it was like a historical housing issue. So it's something like, um, I think the actual term was banks or other people would like take a red line and like circle neighborhoods. Hmm. And I think one of the examples was like, they would charge them. It's basically they'd circle a black neighborhood and be like, Hmm. they have to pay a lot more for loans, have higher interest, things like this. Uh, So hmm. redlining was largely in the realm of housing, basically discrimination applied to black communities that, you know, Hmm. hurt their ability to build up wealth and stuff. Hmm. Um, So that's one of the concrete examples. I mean, that's, Again, that's one of like the concrete examples from the not too far off past of like how things really, you know, were very explicitly damaging to the black community. Mm. Gotcha. Ooh. So yeah. So do you feel like so I mean I feel this was a lot. Yeah. And again, it's hard because it is a little bit of a broad concept that's kind of being used in a lot of ways, but do you feel like you got a a grasp, a feel about how they view things and how it works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, sometimes we need to Again, kind of separate in a theory that because pe- I feel like it's almost like everybody became very popular. So some of the people that are using it, applying it, can be misguided. But it doesn't mean the theory is bad itself, right? Does it? Is it fair to say? <laughs> that's that's something fair to say. Nine nine principle in Maryland, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, there are, I I'm sure you could find critical race theorists who agree and disagree with the principle of from Mary Lynn, so. Mm, got you. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not to go too far off, but y'all, do y'all know Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court Justice? Yeah. yeah. So he's he's generally one of the most conservative justices, the only mm. black one. Um, and he is, like, if you look at some of his writing stuff, he is against affirmative action, almost in a pro-segregation way. Uh, mm. Like, I don't want to, I haven't, like, su- in-depth studied him but there's basically he's had like some comments and basically i think he's sort of like a pro like he basically has said i think that he kind of regrets his the affirmative action that he was you know had applied to himself when he got into like law school and stuff he doesn't seem it's he thinks i think he said someplace that it was the issue was separate but equal wasn't that they weren't in class of white students it's just that their classes weren't equal with white students so he almost explicitly is kind of like a pro like we should have, you know, black schools and black institutions, you know, to build each other up versus, you know, just hoping to integrate into the white institutions as a way to have them give us sort of almost, he looks at it as a paternalistic, like almost handing us like, you know, equality and like some sort of savior complex is some of the way he's like described it. 
what, what do you mean by deal. yeah? What do you mean by black and white students or classrooms are not equal? What, so, so, so I mean, a big part of the civil rights, you know, was like the whole. In the past, we had segregation on the grounds of separate but equal. You know, you have separate classes, separate train cars, buses, hmm. or areas. But the idea was it, they weren't equal. Hmm. So that was part of what, you know, tore down a big part of why segregation was removed. It's like, hey, look, these are clearly not equal. Hmm. So separate but equal apparently can't work. Yeah. But, you know, some some people would still say, actually, the issue was more about the, it's not about fundamentally being separate. It's just they needed to be made equal. Hmm. Okay. It's just so, an it's a radical view. So even though he's a conservative justice, this is on. This is usually associated with a very radical kind of left wing like view. But there are that is something people think. Uh, so he he won like special like black institutions for black students, right? Yeah, basically. Mm. I mean, again, you should read read some okay. of your own. But like, <laughs> I, I didn't study Clarence Thomas a ton before I gotcha, came on gotcha. this podcast. I don't want to say too much about what he yeah, believes, yeah, but this yeah, is yeah. this is what I've seen written about him. And That's your interpretation of him, not yeah. exactly what he's saying. So what's your thoughts on from the action? Then? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, let's see. God, I've read... I mean, the first, like my first thing is it like seems like a decent idea in moderation. Mm. Um, but there's definitely examples where it gets weird, right? Yeah, you know, like do you? It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of a lot of Asian parents try to sue the like Harvard University, right? Say, hey, you are using from the a- action to discriminate against Asian students, right? So, <laughs> yep, that's but, one of the it, the potential issues. Yeah, for uh, me, yeah, for me, affirmative action is kind of weird, right? Because it's, it's actually based on race right so you you basically you are doing you basically discriminate even though you try to advantage one group of students you're still using race as a uh something to to make a decision that means you are using you are actually discriminate against one race and then the other right so you're you, you're actually using race as a to dis- discriminate between different students right so that is racism in a way right so <laughs> from the action but that is but, I, but, but I do also understand that the, the idea is try to solve the disparity where because the one race had been disadvantaged for a long long time right so it's, it's almost like a reparation in a way I guess <laughs> so, I think you know yeah I think you precisely nailed it I think a fair way to call it that most people would agree is that it it's an imperfect solution to a real problem mm, um mm. And then people could debate about how imperfect it is, you know, and whether it's worth, like, it's not ideal, but worth extending more, if it's more problematic. I have seen at least some people say, some of people who study CRT and support it mentioned that, um, like, affirmative action often helps people who are already well off mm-hmm. um, and doesn't focus, it's not radical enough in the sense that it doesn't focus on, you know, the high level of you know black people in poverty because they're not going to yale law school or whatever Mm. but you know if you're already going to yale law school you know you're already in a good position right like clearly you have uh succeeded in society to a reasonable degree if you have the potential to go to yale law school Mm. um you've graduated from college you've gotten good grades and you have a lot of you know societal advantages already built in because of that so it's not that it doesn't help 
black people, but is it helping the ones who are most in need? So, I mean, that's one argument I saw talking about this, but yeah, I, in the end, like it's, it's an imperfect solution for real historical disparities. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm a man of pragmatism, so I don't want to say, uh, you know, just, you know, anything that's imperfect, we can't do. Yeah. But, you know, probably it'd be better to say, could we replace it with something better, take an approach that is better before we just remove it entirely. But, you know, used in, still used in moderation, right? Like you don't yeah. want to have Asian quotas where colleges don't allow more Asian people in because they're, you know, study too hard and whatnot. That doesn't feel good, right? <laughs> that seems seems wrong. Well, yeah, Asian quota is kind of interesting because why, especially California, I walk in, and long time when I, one time I walk into a Starbucks, everybody in there is Asian. I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> This is not an American I know. <laughs> yeah, and it's well, you're going to be racist, going to but... California a little while t- yeah, now, right? Anyway. So you got to get used to it. Yeah. <sighs> so yeah, um, that's good. That's good. Uh, I think that gave me a pretty good understanding of critical race theory. So yeah, and that, yeah, and that's and that's good. I think. I hope. Basically, I hope it gives you enough foundations to like be able to understand the viewpoint. Even if people apply it in different ways, you can be like, okay, I get where you're coming from. And, you know, you can understand and address what they're saying or what they want to do, um, mm. you know, versus just being like, what the heck? Because like I said, a lot of this, I mean, if you use the terms like when you're using race and racism in a different way than it's commonly used in speech, people get confused and are like, what the heck are you talking about? Right. Mm. Just sometimes people talk past each other just because of the semantics they you know. Mm. <sighs> but yeah, so. I don't know. Republicans are going to keep banning something that wasn't being taught into schools, which, you know, if anything, they should be banning the application of its ideas in education in terms of how like teachers and principals organize stuff. If they really wanted to get at it, don't, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to give them ideas or anything per se, but like, you know, I think they're missing the mark, but I also don't think they spent much time or energy trying to understand what it is in the first place. So well, Georgia governor, you know, well, can can definitely you know do something about Maryland situation, right? So. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's it a situation, kind of all right. I like yeah. I said that's pretty new. I don't see how I don't see how the outcome comes anything besides this is clearly illegal. But that'll yeah. be interesting to see because, mm. like I said, there has been this is the most extreme a case, but we have seen more and more instances of people basically segregating stuff. Like the, I think it started with like college like clubs and organizations right being like this is like a you know black poc place only no white students allowed um you know and that generated i saw this like five plus years ago and that would generate some controversy but you know it's kind of like whatever it's like a college isolated thing right like you know it's a big difference when it comes to a public school yeah Mm -hmm. yeah because you actually determine because yeah school is especially elementary school right you actually really determines the student's future right so this you're gonna have unforeseen of potential very big impact right so Mm -hmm. no i I would love to see the court case if the people argue like you know we were doing this for the benefit of the students right because i think they were like this wasn't a i don't think this is a malice done with malice intent Mm. um but you know is is that going to be taken to account or is the court going to be like yeah maybe this is actually okay or are they just going to be like, you know, this is hard against, you know, standard law. <laughs> All right. Anything else? That's everything I had to say. That's good. All right. Mike, any closing thoughts? 
Uh, I think I'm good. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah. Good job, just for, Mike's like, this sounds too controversial for me. I have a job. I want to ensure I don't lose. So I'm just going <laughs> to pretend to be tired and not say anything at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it, I mean, uh, like I, I, I'm all for data. Like, uh, I, I mean, I think a lot of the points you like, I mean, a lot of the points you brought out with data supporting, I agree with it's, you know, I, I guess, uh, as, and I think as you said nicely at the end, the solutions are imperfect and any, almost any proposed solution I think currently is just a minefield that's going to get your leg blown off by one side or the other. So, <laughs> so. yeah. One thing actually, personally, for me, I really uh, interesting in these night race discussions. Now, even though sometimes, you know, you can get really, uh, I guess, dark, because especially you would talk about lynching back in the day, right? But right now, I think race discussion, I think it's, it's good. Because, uh, I mean, Coming from China, right? We don't really talk about race and all, because there's no really race to talk about. And even though, even though in China, right, you see, it became when you talk, you don't have a race specifically, right? But you still have one group of people, like discriminate again another group from different cities, right, or different mm. uh, regions, right? So even though if you like in the future, if you re, even if you remove race, the idea of race or racism from United States, right? I think you're still going to have people like discriminate against the other. So I, I feel like it's, it's almost an like evolution. Human, it's a human instinct, right? To form groups, right? To, and then to feel, uh, and to feel that to be proud of your group, that you are superior than the other group, right? And that's kind of human nature, human evolution, you know, try to do that. So, but yeah, anyway, so I don't think we, we can are really human the tribalism concept. episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we can really remove that discrimination of all group on the other, but I think we can. It's good that you know the discussion is good, and then it's I am um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's why some of the most oh, Mike cut off. No, he just he just went off. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so I mean, that's I think that's sort of the thesis or the origin of the more radical thinking about maybe we do need separation, um, mm. more segregated stuff, because they say it's tribalism is sort of implicit to human nature and can we ever really fix it right mm. is is the colorblind utopia you know forever a dream even whether even if we can't do it now but yeah, yeah. you can't really it's kind of a utopia right because uh, you know you even we even remove race you're gonna have one group class of you know people i mean it's a tendency for people to form groups right anyway so mm-hmm. no. yeah yeah all right Oof. you are Mike, you want to give off the last word and take off offline? Yeah, I mean, I can, yeah. I mean, basically, I think like we talked about it, I mean, it's it's a hard problem because people will sort of, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, sort of form those groups and, you know, yeah, I just don't know that there's like perfect solutions off, mm. like offered now, so. All yeah. right. So. I'm surprised that Mike, you were actually listening. I was surprised. Oh, I no, I mean, I listened. <laughs> it's just, I listened. It's just, yes. Nice. I and mean, it's, it's controversial enough. And I am like, I'm far from an expert on it. So I just don't need to say anything stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you're listening to this and very upset, I did my best to give a good face <laughs> yeah. presentation of what it was. So. No, no. I felt like, I mean, I felt like you did a good job. That's why I didn't necessarily want to 
like enter in with anything where I'm just like, this is like, this is my sort of un like one hour of sleep, unreasoned opinion or unreasoned thinking. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. So. All uh, right. All right. Uh, what, uh, I guess before I take us offline, uh, Shu, do you want, do you know what you're doing next week or, or wait? I think we're going to talk about crypto applications, like application of cri- cryptocurrency a blockchain basically i think a lot of people just talk about bitcoin and that's pretty much it in terms of cryptocurrency but there's a lot of things you can do with the fundamental technology so i'm gonna just give a brief overview of what are the interesting stuff that happening in the crypto uh universe basically right. a lot of innovative ways to scam people exactly exactly <laughs> you know you, the cryptocurrency bubble is already you know blown up you got to be at the top of the pyramid scheme. That's the right. next application of the technology. Yeah, exactly. Shoe coin. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, you, know, you mean your shoe NTF. Yeah, yeah all, exactly. all your, the NTFs for every, all of your greatest statements and quotes. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, oh, sorry. sorry. NFT. I got that backwards. <laughs> Mike. All right. You can cut it. It's offline. All right. I'm taking us offline. All right. We'll see you next week. Shinto. Club.